First Kings 18. From verse 20, the first chapter, sorry, the verse 1, it says, came to pass after many days, the word of the Lord, many days, after many days, there has been no word of the Lord came to people of Israel, uh, Samaria, Israel, uh, in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send the rain on the earth. So there was no rain for three years because the king was being evil. Verse 20, um, so uh, there was a, um, uh, Elijah proposed a competition, so to speak, that you gather your prophets uh, to Mount Carmel, and then I will go there, and then we'll sacrifice <coughs> offerings, and whoever has the fire uh, on the burnt offering, the offering, and it will be proof that uh, that the one that has the fire. The one that, uh, whether it's a Baal or Lord, whenever, which one ever that has a fire, is the true Lord, true God. There was a proposal. And in verse 20, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on the Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to the old people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a, left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophet are 450 men. Therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them cut in it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, I will call on the name of the Lord, and God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophet of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. They, then they leaped about uh, the altar which they had made. And so it was. At noon, Elijah mocked them and said, Cried aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping. And must be awakened. So they cried out loud and cut themselves, as their, uh, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering, of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice; no one answered; no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, "Come near to me." So the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord has, had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built the, an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar large enough to hold the two seah of seed, and he put the wood in order. 
cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots uh, with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did a second time and said, Do it a third time. And they did, they did it a third time. So the water ran around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass when the time of offering of evening sacrifice, Elijah, the, that Elijah prophet came to near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that you are the Lord, God, that you have turned their heart back to you again. And you know, and then the next verse, that then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And he licked up the water that was in the trench. Let's go to. Um, oh, now it, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Second Kings chapter 2. Verse 9. So 2 Kings 2, Elijah is at the end of his life. He's about to be summoned by God. Uh, Elijah and Enoch, they're the only two, according to the Bible, who did not taste death but went to heaven. 2 Kings 2, verse 9. So, and so it was when they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Elisha was a disciple of Elijah, apprentice, if you want to call it that way, ask what may I what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elijah said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked. And suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into uh, heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up up uh, uh, the mantle of Elijah that had fallen up from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen um, from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And we, when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that then Elijah crossed over. You can see that the power of the spirit, power of God, uh, was, which was given to Elijah was also given to Elisha. It was a, a proof that Elisha was uh, formally, officially recognized as uh, um, successor of Elijah. Before we um, go into the text, I'd like to challenge you this evening what is what is the significance 
of the ascension of Jesus Christ. We have a service today. It's very good to see you attending here. What is the importance? Why do we worship on this day? Uh, why does that matter to you, the ascension of Jesus Christ? Have you ever thought about it? Before we get into that, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Read from verse 1 to verse 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Significance of Ascension of Christ. Well, as we read from, I'm going to explain that again later, uh, from John chapter 16, Christ said, it is your advantage that I go away, go away, which means he go to heaven. If I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. That was fulfilled because Holy Spirit came, which means because Christ went into heaven, the Holy Spirit came. That was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Well, some people explain like this, and I believe this is very correct. That Ephesians 5 verse 2 is, is in the line uh, with uh, Ephesians 5 2, which says, Christ also has loved us and given himself for us on offering, sacrifice. That is true. Sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Sweet, sweet smelling aroma. Well, in a, according to Leviticus, the priests, they had to burn incense in the morning and the evening. And then the sweet smelling would go up and God would be pleased by the smell. Not that, not literally, it has some spiritual significance. Priests would offer burnt offerings, meal offerings, peace offering, and those offerings burnt by fire would ascend to God as a sweet smelling savor. That is the expression here. So, well, when Christ offered himself on the cross, he fulfilled those ritual practices. He became a sweet-smelling savor, pleasing God. 
Meaning, his sacrifice satisfied God's justice, just like the smoke, sweet aroma ascended into heaven as a proof that God was pleased with the sacrifice. Christ's ascension as a sweet smelling savor is a proof that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. That is the significance of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Again, the fulfillment of the Old Testament ritual. There's a something more. So after the sacrifice, Christ, and before the sacrifice, he said something about his ascension as we read at John chapter 16, verse 7. I tell you the truth. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So his ascension also, the second thing, second significance of his ascension is that his ascension has everything to do with the coming of Jesus, sorry, coming of the Holy Spirit, which was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. So since Christ's sacrifice satisfied God, he is pleased to send gift, the helper, the Holy Spirit, in return. So we can think Christ's ascension like this. Ascension is followed by the coming of the Holy Spirit. As Christ said, without Christ's ascension, there's no coming of the Holy Spirit, no ascension, no Holy Spirit on the Pentecost day. So we're going to look at that, the aspect of the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit in the lens which was somewhat uh, foreshadowed by Elijah, uh, Elijah and Elisha. So Elijah's, Elijah's sacrifice, Elijah's, Elijah's ascension. Elijah's uh, sacrifice, the first story begins when Ahab, the evil king, was ruling the nation. He was not a godly king. He set up an altar for Baal. He made wooden images. First Kings 16, you can read all about that. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel's anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So it was getting worse and worse and worse. Ahab was at the peak of the evilness of any other kings uh, that was before him. He was at the peak of the evilness. So the Lord, Eli Lord uh, pronounced judgment through Elijah, saying that there will be no rain for three years. No rain, famine. It was a serious, if you think about it, imagine that we have no rain here in Ontario for three years. It means it would be devastating for crops, devastating for everything. I mean, drinking water, water is important. That Some people just suffered without electricity, you're not able to flush toilet, without, you're not able to do some of the things. Well, think about no rain for three years. Means huge economic crisis. 
However, what is more tragic about three years of famine is not about this agricultural damage or economic crisis, but it's about spiritual crisis. What is more serious about this famine is that not only there was no rain, literally, that the crops were devastated, but it mainly has to do with the spiritual famine of Israel. It was a representation of a spiritual famine. Notice that there was no word of God being preached to the people for three years. God took away his prophet. Other prophets were gone too. And then later we find that the true believers, they were hiding because of the persecution too. So why did the people of Samaria suffer from severe famine, both literally and spiritually? Well, the Bible tells us it's because of King Ahab, because uh, apostasy and his disobedience, and the disobedience of the whole nation. And the worst part is that Ahab, the leadership, doesn't realize that they are in trouble. They don't think it's their fault. Ahab met Elijah and he was blaming a prophet for their wrongdoings by saying, Is that you, O trouble of Israel? You can see the, the blindness of the leadership, Ahab, not really realizing what he was doing wrong and then pointing finger at God's servant. Elijah answered pointedly and rightly, telling him why Israel was suffering from the famine. It was because the king has forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the false God. And then he proposed this competition request, gather all Israel to Mount Carmel and 450 prophets Baal, 400 prophets Asherah and as you know, he proposed a competition. Build two altars, put no fire, and whoever has a fire on the altar, the God that they serve is the true God. So this proposal has two implications. First, Elijah, what he's proposing is that the, let the deity himself decide who, who was the true God. The Lord or Baal. Make it clear. Send the fire. Second, the true deity himself will determine which worship is acceptable in God's eyes. So worship of Elijah or worship of those false prophets the worshippers of Baal. And people have to decide whom they should serve. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. Now you notice that everything depends on one sign. A sign from heaven. The true God should make himself known so, that because let the deity decide who true God is, 
The true God should make himself known by setting a fire on the altar. So the main point is, what people were looking for is, the God who answers by fire, he is true God. And as you know, the prophet of Baal began first. They called on the name of Baal from the morning till evening, sorry, to noon. No voice, no answer. Elijah mocked them, cried out, furthermore, Either he's, maybe he's meditating, he's busy, maybe he's on journey, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he should be, he must be waking up. So they cried out loud. They even cut themselves with knives. Blood gushed out. Maybe they thought if they harm themselves more, God will take pity on them and answer them. I have seen that in some other religions. They prophesied until evening. There was no voice, and there's a little interesting comment, funny comment. No one paid attention. People knew. Then Elijah asked the people to come near, and he, interesting expression, he repaired the altar. Probably was broken by um, the king or the people. He repaired the altar of the Lord. He set the 12 stones according to the number of tribes, remembering the name Israel that God gave the covenant, the covenant that God made, put wood, cut the, cut the animal in pieces, poured water three times, and he prayed. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that you are the Lord God. The purpose of this uh, miracle, so that people may return. You may, that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Um, that expression, that turn the hearts of the children back to the Father, that's about Elijah, that is also applied, the cross-reference to Jesus Christ, right? When Jesus comes, he will turn the hearts of the people to back to the Father, that is the cross-reference here. Then as you know, the fire came, consumed the burnt offering, burned the whole thing, licked up the water that was in the trench. People who paid no attention to Baal, now they were amazed, surprised. They fell on their faces. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now, let me ask you, what is it that convinced the people of Israel that the Lord is the true God. Well, as I said, they were looking for one thing. It's fire, fire from heaven. The one that is accepted by God, the burnt offering that is accepted by God had fire. What, what is it that the prophets of Baal looking for so desperately, of course, it's the fire. In other words, the fire is the key here. Now, Elijah's proposal was based upon the account in Leviticus 9.24. 
Leviticus 9. What is Leviticus 9.24? Well, you know what happened in the chapter before at Leviticus 8, right? There was Aaron's son, two sons. They offered unauthorized sacrifice, um, the fire, and the fire consumed them. But the, a chapter later, uh, they did, a people, the priests did according to uh, what Moses commanded. Well, the key word is, as the Lord commanded him, Moses brought Aaron's sons, put, uh, put uh, turban and tunic, and put hats on them as the Lord has commanded them. The burnt sacrifice for sweet aroma offering made by fire to the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then Aaron's sons failed to do that in chapter 8. And they burnt by the fire. They, they died. But uh, chapter 9, the priest's priest, um, ministry takes the place. When Aaron offered offerings as the Lord had commanded to Moses, it says the Lord was pleased and responded by sending fire and not consuming the priest, but consuming the burnt offering. And here's the key point of this sermon. The meaning of the fire consuming the sacrifice means that Elijah offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord. And the absence of fire, in this case, uh, on the sacrifice of the prophet Baal, means the Lord was not happy about them. So, fire, the key element of Elijah's story first, is a sign of God's acceptance of the, of the sacrifice. Another good example cross-reference would be the Gideon. And Samson's parents gave some, something to the Lord, sacrifice. The angel of the Lord touched the altar, causing the sacrifices to erupt in flame. It's a sign of God's acceptance of offering. In the same way, we can understand the Christ's ascension and the Pentecost in this way. Christ's ascension, he went up as our burnt offering offered to heaven for our sake. And as a result, we ought to live a living sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit came as a fire, as a sign that God was satisfied with Christ's sacrifice. Notice in Acts chapter 2 verse 2, Suddenly there was a rushing mighty wind, and then they, there appeared them divided tongues as of fire. So again, I emphasize the, the significance of Christ's ascension. Because again, about the sacrifice, it was accepted by God. It was a proof that he pleased the God's um, satisfaction. His justice and righteousness. Let's go to the second point. Elijah's ascension. 
So the coming of the Holy Spirit is not only a confirmation of Christ's perfect and satisfactory sacrifice, it, it is also, it is also um, a gift of God, the coming of the Holy Spirit after Christ's ascension. He calls that Holy Spirit helper in John chapter 14 and 16. In 2 Kings chapter 2, we see a foreshadow of that ascension of Elijah. Elijah had fully um, discharged the commission of God, which was given to him. It was a time for Elijah to uh, leave, and he had apprentice, Elisha. We can say Elisha was kind of type of Christ. Elisha is to be regarded as a representative of those who cleave and to follow Christ. You see the Elijah, later we'll find out that Elisha asked for double portion from Elijah. The same thing that uh, when Christ came, there was a messenger who came before Christ. And the Old Testament calls him, the Elijah has to come. Of course, it's not Elijah reincarnated. No, we don't believe in reincarnation. But it's a symbolic, just as a Elijah, he inherited double portion more mightier than Elijah. Christ, he is greater and mightier than John the Baptist. That is the connection that we can make here. One thing is that is noticeable here is the conversation between Elijah and Elisha. Elijah asked before he leaves, ask. Ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Elisha did not ask for earthly glory. He didn't ask for fortune or wealth. He didn't ask anything that he might have coveted. But he asked something spiritual, a gift, double portion of the uh, spirit of prophecy, of wisdom, and grace. Double portion. Well, what does that mean, a double portion? Does that mean if Elijah had, let's say, 100% of capacity of power, Elijah would get 200%? Does that, what that means by double portion? Not exactly, not really. The double portion, we can understand that as, um, we can understand that as inheritance. So the parents, if they, uh, when the parents have many children, uh, he would give inheritance to the little children, and he would give double portion to the firstborn. I'll give you a little funny example, I think I mentioned that several times in the catechism class, uh, the Mongolians, they do a different way. The Mongolians, they would give inheritance to the children when they get married. Let's say they have a six, they would divide it to six of them and the six, one six to the firstborn, secondborn, and they would give the last son, last child, a double portion to the last one. The last one would take care of uh, their parents. 
but that's a Mongolian. But uh, the point is, double portion has to do with inheritance. The firstborn would get the double portion. Now here, the, here the term double portion has a deeper meaning. Uh, based upon Deuteronomy 21.17. He shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength and the right of the firstborn is his. Again, expression is an expression. Double portion refers to the inheritance that the firstborn receives from his father. So Elisha took upon himself as the firstborn son of Elijah in relation to other the sons of prophets. There are many sons of prophets. Elijah asks not only earthly riches and or inheritance, but the spiritual inheritance that he will be a successor as a firstborn, as, as if his first son of Elijah. Notice that Elisha didn't want Elijah, his master, to go away. He must be in a very, he probably felt very sad. It was like a big loss for Elisha, Elijah's ascension. But Elisha received a double portion and performed many mighty miracles, more than Elijah did. Elisha also received the spirit, as I said, as Elijah's adopted firstborn son. Now compare that with Christ who ascended to heaven. You see, he poured his spirit to us, a double portion. He is the firstborn born from the dead, and he gives his blessings, a double portion, to us. His ascension might have felt like a loss, huge loss for his disciples. It's mentioned in the, uh, ex, uh, sorry, the John chapter 16. But Christ's spirit came upon the people, enabling them to perform many great miracles. You find that in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and so on. Those who received the Holy Spirit... Most importantly, not only in the book of Acts they performed many miracles, but most importantly, they received the right to be children of God, to enjoy the inheritance of God, and calling Him Abba, Father. Now, speaking of this Holy Spirit, double portion there's another important point that you we have to remember what Christ said in Luke chapter 11 12 concerning the Holy Spirit he said when a son asks for bread from any father there's no father who would give him a stone even an evil father would give him give good gifts to his children how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Lord's Day 45 speaks about that too, doesn't it? Lord's Day 45. 
Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. And cross-reference number 2, Luke chapter 11, verse 9 to 13, which I just read. How much more will our your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How fitting it is that the Apostle James, when he talks about asking for the Holy Spirit, he gives an example of Elijah. Elijah. Let's open our Bible to James chapter 5. Uh, sorry, this is James chapter 5, 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. He says, he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. What kind of terrible prayer is this terrible prayer? You're praying that the whole nation would suffer. I pray that it would not rain here in Ontario for three years. But that's what he did. And then James, Apostle James is using it as a good example that how we ought to pray. Now the key word, that he prayed earnestly. What does that mean? He prayed earnestly. Well, it means this. You pray, you ask God, knowing that God will listen your prayers I mean okay that's what other ministers say but let me explain this way I will try to be a little bit delicate here you pray earnestly in here in the original text the earnestly means you pray granted and knowing that he is your father that he will have to answer to you. Now you think, oh, that doesn't make sense. That sounds sound really absurd. Does that mean he will have to listen to my greedy and selfish prayers? No, that's not what it means. This does not mean that you can pray selfishly or give us, you know, make a selfish request. That's not what it means. It means, it means when you approach God, you call him first Abba Father. Abba Father. Christ makes a really interesting um, uh, illustration uh, in somewhere in the gospel that there's a friend who came 
to request for bread, uh, to request the bread, and then his friend is already lying, sleeping, and he persisted, and the friend came up, although he didn't like it, he came up, he came out, and then gave the bread. And Christ said, because of persistency, because, and that's that's the same uh, idea here, because he, he knew that I, if I continue to pray, if I continue to pray earnestly, if I request again and again, knowing that God will listen, God, because God is my Father, He will listen. You can see that from uh, our children sometimes. Children make a request. I mean, they may not make a stupid, like, silly request, a selfish request. But they come, and sometimes they make some silly, even silly request, because they know that I am their father. So here, the meaning, the earnestly, focuses on the fact that God is our Father. You come with a believing heart, faith. That's how Elijah prayed. He approached to God, the Father, without hesitation. And we can approach God, and the main point is, we can approach God and ask earnestly here, continually, persistently, with heartfelt longing, ask for these gifts of the Holy Spirit. We can do that because God is our Father. Because Christ made a perfect and satisfactory sacrifice for the complete forgiveness of our sins. He obtained our sonship. He made us sons and daughters of God that we may inherit the double portion, the blessings that Christ obtained for us. Going back to the first point, how can we be sure? How can we boldly come to God and approach God and ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit without any hesitation? How can we ask persistently like the widow that approached the wicked judge? How do we know? How can we be sure of that? First point of the sermon, because Christ himself ascended into heaven as a sweet aroma of the sacrifice, the sign, the proof that he obtained those blessings for us. So what is the significance of ascension? Again, it's the proof that he obtained uh, the safety, the salvation for us. And the second, he is willing to give the gifts, the Holy Spirit to us. Those are two significant points of his ascension. 